0: We are going to turn now to our scripture reading, which is the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, relatively short chapter, about 16 verses here. So we're singing that song, I can't help but think of uh, the countless times my family and I have driven across the country to California, and uh, this song always comes to mind when you're driving across the plains and you can see the entire storm coming on the horizon with all the lightning coming down and striking. And truly, our God is great, and we are reminded that the God of the storm is our God and the God who gives peace to his people. It is our great privilege to hear his voice through his word. So with that in view, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Let us give our diligent attention to the word of God. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Amen. Well, with that, let us join our hearts in prayer, asking the Lord's blessing in his word. Almighty God, we are here to listen to your voice, and we ask that Jesus Christ, by his word and by his spirit, would be the true preacher this day. We thank you for the glorious privilege of gathering at your feet to learn of you. And Lord, we ask that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down in power, that you would make yourself known not only in our ears and in our minds, but in the depths of our hearts. Lord, we pray that everyone here will behold your glory. We pray that we would all know you from the least to the greatest. And we pray that if any do not know you, this would be the day of salvation. We pray for all of us that you would press us onward and upward with the high calling of God in Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we come to this glorious text, we are coming to the end, at least for most of us, of a good weekend together, focusing on the glory of our triune God and seeing how God saves us in particular. And we see that in everything God does, he does it from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So even today, by one Spirit in Jesus Christ, we are before the face of God our Father. And what a fitting way to close our time together, our conference together on the Trinity by doing what we're doing right now, gathering in worship. Full disclosure... I do plan to preach this text at the Greenville Seminary Conference this year. And some of you are going, more of you than I suspected. Um, and uh, also, full disclosure, my sermon will be different every time. So hopefully uh, that, that won't hinder you. But in praying over what is needed for us, what is one of the most important things that we can grasp and meditate on together this morning, this weekend, this place, this time, this text kept impressing itself on my heart and my mind. What the text deals with is actually knowing God. And I mean what I say there. Knowing God. Not simply gathering information about God, Not simply puzzling over what God is like or being able to argue with other people, but actually knowing Him. Just like children, you can say, you know your brothers and sisters, you know your parents. I mentioned in the last couple of days Pilgrim's Progress, and many of the children perked up and seemed to have been familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, If anyone, child or adult, has not read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to, uh, to get to work quickly. But one of the things that comes to mind from Pilgrim's Progress illustrates what Paul is getting at in this text quite well. And that is, in the first part of Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character named Talkative. And Talkative, in many ways, in my mind, is one of the most disturbing characters in the entire book. Because as he meets the two Christians on the road, he wants to talk about anything and everything. This is a man who loves his theology. He wants to debate all the fine points. This is the one who wants to talk about infant baptism. This is the one who wants to debate even the Trinity and talk about election and predestination. Whatever it is, it's fair game. And you might say, okay, well, that sounds good. The man's interested in the Bible. The man's interested in theology. A lot of people aren't interested in those things. So off to a good start. But something is fatally wrong with the man. The man will talk about anything in theory and nothing in practice. He'll talk about any topic. He'll debate anything that anyone will present to him, Unless it touches his heart. In other words, the real questions are, where are you personally? What do you do with what you know? Do you see a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of the tunnel? And are you actually reaching out to him? Would you count everything loss if the only thing you received through all of your knowledge was just God himself? And anything that touches the man's heart is off limits. I have to say, coming to this text and thinking about Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Talkative, it seems that in our circles, that is in Presbyterian Reformed Churches, people do their best to imitate Talkative. All you have to do is look at Facebook or other social media. And what do you see? You see people whose heads are full of knowledge. They want to debate everything. In fact, because it's social media and it's not a person sitting next to you or, or in front of you eye to eye, they're willing to insult people as, as they will left and right and vilify anyone who doesn't agree with them. And you're left wondering at the end of the day, what's the point? Is this going anywhere? Is all of our theology, our confessions of faith, our catechisms, our Bibles even, do all these things simply amount to enabling us to argue with people? Are we talkative? What Paul has in mind here is something very different. The Corinthian church was full of talkatives full of people that love to argue over everything to the point that it was literally tearing the church apart. And what Paul does as a wise pastor is he cuts to the heart of the matter and he gets to the heart of their hearts in such a way that he actually addresses every pastoral problem in the church in one thing. And here it is. Here's the secret to 1 Corinthians. You are thinking in worldly wisdom instead of the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. Stop thinking in worldly terms. Go back to Jesus Christ. Go back to the wisdom God has given you and let this govern and drive you from the heart outward into all of your relationships, into everything else you do. So what Paul is getting at here in 1 Corinthians 2 is eminently practical and primarily important. What is he actually getting at in this particular text? Well, let me state it. What Paul is saying in First Corinthians 2, the whole chapter, is he's giving us uh, the means, the matter, and the mover we need to know God. Not just to talk about God, but to know God. And he gives us a means by which we need to know God, namely the preaching of the word. And he gives us the matter, the content, the thing we need to hear, the thing we need to look for, namely Jesus Christ. And he also gives us the mover who enables us to receive the matter, namely the Holy Spirit. So what God is doing is he is directing us under the preaching of the word to lay hold of Jesus by the Spirit. There's my Trinity connection. I hope those of you who are here from the conference just see it now. We pick up the text, we read it, there it is. There are the persons. The text is about God. The gospel is about God. Well, let's begin with the means. Notice in verses 1 through 5 what Paul actually says. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. What he's really saying is something like this. When I came into your midst, I didn't seek to impress you. What's actually going on in the church? I mean, this is a divided church. These people are concerned about their own things. Who has the best pastor? Who's received the best baptism? What do I do to get back at my neighbor when he endangers my stuff? What about church discipline? Well, whatever I am, whatever I've done, at least I'm not like that guy over there or that woman over there. The Lord's Supper, it's all about my fellowship with Christ. Even if I get to the table and take my, what I want and there's nothing left for the people sitting next to me, too bad for them, you didn't get in line fast enough. And you get the idea, you see what's actually going on with the Corinthians? They are selfish. They are self-centered, as we as Christians so often are. Focusing on our own problems, focusing on our own advantages, focusing on our own uh, benefits. And here Paul confronts us by saying, this is why when I came to you, I didn't come on your own terms. You're thinking like worldly people. You're putting yourselves first. You're putting others next to you. And God is really at the end of the chain. The only reason maybe he's even in your thoughts at all is to baptize what you're doing and somehow Christianize it. Literally, we're arguing over baptism here, right? Who has the best baptism? And when I came to you, I purposefully did not give you what you wanted. I didn't come with flashy rhetoric. I didn't come with excellence of speech. I didn't come to you trying to trick you, trying to gain popularity, trying to say, uh, as as Peter and Apollos and all these other people are preaching uh, to you, they need to get in line. I'm putting myself forward. You really need to listen to Paul. But what is he actually doing? He's not making a comment on what kind of speaker he was. He's not saying, in other words, I came to you trying to preach to you the boringest sermons I possibly could. And if I put you to sleep, I counted myself in the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of men. And some people, you know, as silly as that sounds, I think try to take this this way. We shouldn't be interesting. We shouldn't be clear. We shouldn't have an outline. We just throw it out there. And if people don't like it, then we blame it on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's not working. Well, there's only two of us who are preachers here that I know of, but we need to ask as well if that's our attitude. Is the preaching working? Is the spirit working in us? Do we love the Lord? Are we excited about the things that we're, we're getting? Or are we just talking? Are we just talking and spewing out what's in our heads? What Paul is getting at here is it's not the outward form. I sought by every means possible to make things clear, to make things plain, to direct you in the right way to take you away from yourselves and bring you back along the right path. What is that? Notice he says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when I say here, the preaching of the word is in view, the preaching of the word is the great means that God is actually using to promote the true knowledge of God, what he's actually telling us is there's a focal point of that preaching of the word. What do you need to hear above everything else? Not what you want to hear, but what you should want to hear. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what is Paul actually getting at? There's something of a a, a godly impatience in Paul at this point. It is as though whatever he discusses, wherever he is going, he cannot wait to get back to Jesus Christ. Now, under the second point, in just a moment, we'll see the reasons for that. But in the healthiest forms of Christianity, past and present, people have always been the most obsessed with Jesus Christ. I'm putting that as strongly as I can. Obsessed with Jesus Christ. I could hardly think of anything else. I could hardly talk of anything else. This becomes really different, doesn't it, than the person who simply says, I want to debate theology. I've seen people in Reformed churches that have even told me this in these words. I just can't wait to argue about things. I just can't wait to get into a debate. Well, you know, it's one thing if we're saying, I want to understand better. I want to know better. But beware And don't be surprised that if that is your attitude towards learning, towards scripture, towards theology, your church may end up looking like the Corinthian church. Now, I don't know any of you terribly well, so I'm not throwing a bone at anyone or or picking on anyone particularly here. But what I am stressing is in the means by which God leads us to know himself. Jesus Christ is the focal point. When he says, I purposed in my heart to not make anything known among you except Jesus and him crucified, this is not just because this is an immature church. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the beginning and middle and end of Christianity. Without him, there is nothing. Jesus Christ constitutes the ABCs, the first principles of the curriculum that you need to study to know God. And Jesus Christ is also the PhD of studying God's word, of knowing God's name. And what Paul is actually saying is this is the one thing that pulls us together. Whatever disagreements we have, whatever rights we think are trampled, And children, I know you face this if you have brothers and sisters. This is where you learn to deal with conflict and godliness in the church is at home. And I know it's hard. But ultimately, you need the same thing as your parents. You need to do what is right. You need to pursue the good of your brother and sister, obedience to your parents, not because they're right or you're right or somebody's wrong, but because you love Jesus Christ. Same thing that drove Paul's preaching. And then he says, I was with you in weakness and fear any much trembling. If you want to look at my outward appearance, if you want to look at who I actually am, what do I have to offer as a preacher, as a leader? There's Really not much to go on. There's really not much there. I have no confidence in myself. I don't trust in myself, but I do know that I must proclaim to you one thing and only one thing. When I tell you the whole counsel of God and everything God has revealed that you need to know, all of it hovers around, revolves around, has the... Aroma and scent, as it were, of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is why He says, verse 4 My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, the rest of the chapter, He's going to explain why these things are so. The preaching of Jesus Christ is the great means the Lord uses to drive you and I to know God. And notice the Trinity here. The Father testifies. What does he testify to? He testifies to his Son. And Paul, as it were, takes up the testimony into his own heart and it spills forth from his lips. And the reason at the end of the day is that this is the preaching, this is the message that God drives home so people can know God. This is what it means to preach in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not to be impressive or to make an impression, but to exalt the Savior and drive Him home to the heart. That is the work of the Spirit of God. Now, as I mentioned, at least two of us here are preachers. But all of us here are hearers. And I say all of us. I'm hearing the sermon as I'm preaching the sermon. I'm under the word and under the ministry of Christ as it's going forth for you. Because this is the Spirit's work through the word directing us to his son. What do we look for in the preaching of the word? Are we talkative? Are we simply looking for the next debate, the next bit of information, or is everything that we learn, everything we know, everything we seek, driving us back to this point right here, Christ and him crucified? Are we impatient to preach Jesus Christ? I love a statement about uh, from Charles Spurgeon when people criticized him of, ordering too much allegory and reading the Old Testament and finding uh, things there that, that weren't necessarily there, and it's all about Jesus. His response was glorious. I'd rather find Christ where he's not than miss him where he is. Is that our heart? Is that our aim, our goal, our desire? In the preaching of the word, in the hearing of the word. Whether you're preaching or not. Are you praying this way? Are you praying the Holy Spirit. Into the preacher's heart. So that he would be obsessed with Christ. So that's what spills out of his heart. In his mouth. And that's what you hear. That's what you receive. Or are we simply focused on our own things? Well. That takes us from the means in verses 1 through 5 to the matter. Now, the matter I've already said. What's the matter of the preaching? What has God actually told us? What has God actually given us? Jesus Christ. How is this different and how does this advance things when we talk about the matter in verses 6 down through 11? What Paul is actually doing here is is he's challenging them and he's challenging us to say, do you consider what's actually at your fingertips? Have you considered what you actually know? What God has actually revealed concerning Christ and where it comes from? Now I'm going to trust, I'll I'll jump ahead a little bit and pull back the thread of thought through the text, but have you ever heard the words of verse 9 before? Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And how do we apply a text like that? Don't we often say, heaven's going to be better than we can imagine. Heaven's going to be greater than we could possibly think and anything that could enter into our hearts. It's not revealed yet, but it will be and it'll be great. And we can't wait to get there. Now, some people go down that track and basically do exactly what the Corinthians do in a different way. How is that place going to be so great? Well, I like golf. Maybe I'll have a golf course in the sky. First funeral that my father-in-law preached at, uh, actually the, uh, the family was saying that the, a little boy who had died actually was sitting on Jesus' lap playing video games? Or is it a Muslim paradise? Which I guess appeals to Muslim men primarily. You know, all the women you ever want. All the things, all the stuff you ever desired. Better than we can imagine. Well, maybe we know better. I hope so. I trust so. We don't want those things. I mean, I trust so because the groans when I give these examples, too. But when we look to glory, what do we want? We want to see Jesus as he is. We want to be like him. And that is good. That's in line with verses 1 through 5. The means of preaching focuses on Jesus Christ. But he realized this text actually says something more magnificent than that with the matter. Because notice if I can skip to verse 10 and pull our way back through the details, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but but God has revealed them to us. He's not talking, in other words, about a future heavenly glory that you can barely imagine. He's actually talking about something that you have access to today. What is this great thing that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man that God has revealed? I mean, we should be, if we're listening to this and thinking about it, saying, I can't wait. Give me this information. Give me this subject matter that only God can give. And what is it? Well, notice that we go back to verse six. What he's actually saying is what God has told you about his son. You couldn't learn these things anywhere else. People just can't make this stuff up. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But notice what he says. We speak in wisdom to those who are mature, yet we have a different quality of wisdom, a different kind of wisdom, a different source for this wisdom. Preaching is the means that we hear it, but the matter is something God has revealed. It doesn't come, as he says, by the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Where are they? All the greatest thinkers of Paul's day. Can we name the best philosophers of his time? or the statesman. Maybe a few of us who know something about history can dig deep. But where are they? And yet here we are still reading Paul, centuries later. And why? Because Paul has something to offer us that all worldly wisdom can never give you. Now it's interesting, I think, You know, you're talking about the wisdom of the world. Wisdom of the world is basically me first, I'm good compared to other people, and if you want religion, great. That's what it comes down to, different forms, different manifestations. But this will never give you the one thing you really need to know. And that is the Lord himself. But I'm amazed, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of uh, one of my wife's relatives who used to be a Baptist pastor and he ended up abandoning his profession of Christ and leaving the Christian faith and getting a a PhD in psychology and uh, as he got his PhD most of the rest of the Christian was most of the rest of the family was Christian if I can say that right and basically his attitude was I've got the PhD and you're a bunch of imbeciles I know I've gained wisdom, I've gained understanding, or at least I have enough understanding to tell people that I don't know anything. But I'm going to make sure that you know you don't know anything either. And you know, my response at least was, I got the exact opposite out of my PhD work. You know, you you study everything man has to offer. You go as far as you can, as the Lord enables you to do. And and what do you realize at the end if you're actually paying attention? I have more questions at the end than when I started with. If I learn anything, I, I can ask more questions than I knew to ask. And we realize that mere human wisdom, mere human learning, if that's all we want, that's all we chase after, we will come up dry. I mean, you got to ask your, yourself the question, if I'm just living for the wisdom of this world, if I'm just living for the things of this world, what next? Well, I've got these other plans, this other thing I want to pursue. Okay, what next? Well, something else. What next? Well, you keep asking the question. Eventually, I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah, because your life is going somewhere. There's more to life than just the next best thing. There's more to life than just pursuing what you want now, pursuing all of your own desires, because one day you're going to die. One day you're going to come up dry. And that thought is not meant to depress you, but meant to drive you back to the message Paul is giving. What is the matter? I don't mean what's wrong. What's the subject matter? What's he talking about? What's he getting at that's so important and so profound? Notice, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So children, what does mystery mean? you think of something as a mystery, maybe you mean it's confusing, it's inexplicable, it's mysterious. But God's word means something a little bit different. What God actually means is something you couldn't know unless God told you. A mystery is something that was hidden in God's heart, so to speak, in God's mind, His counsel. And now Paul says, we are speaking a mystery which was hidden, and now God is revealed. So there's good news. God has something to say to you. God has a word to speak to you. And his word is something that only he can tell you. Now we connect the dots. Why in preaching as the means of knowing God is Paul actually saying, I purposed in my heart to make nothing known among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Jesus Christ and him crucified is the mystery that only God could tell you about. And you realize what this is going to mean as we're pushing through this text is that if we didn't have Bibles, we wouldn't have Jesus. I taught a class at our church recently to children who are getting ready to profess their faith and uh, tried to make things simple. And one of the things that I came back to here at this particular point was No Bible, no Christ, no Christ, no God. You need God to tell you. And for you and I at least, that means we need this book because this is where God has told us. This is where the Spirit has spoken, as we'll see in a moment. And these are the things this book this message about Jesus Christ, things that could never enter your imagination or your heart unless God said so. We realize what a glorious message we have in the scriptures. Concerning Jesus Christ, things which are hidden from the foundation of the world, now God has just opened the doors, let the light shine out and and come full force upon us. You see why Paul is obsessed with Christ. I don't want to speak about anything else. You shouldn't want to hear anything else unless it's connected to this. Knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ, God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. What's so great about it? Well, well, God is very holy and exalted and you are very lowly and sinful. And offending God is a problem. God is infinite in his majesty and glory to the point that even as we talked about in Sunday school, some of us, we can barely comprehend what he has revealed and barely wrap our minds around what he said. How can we deal with this God? God, as it were, in the New Testament says, I have an answer for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The eternal son, equal with the father. Why did Jesus need to be God? Because as God, he's worthy to save us. Only as God could he match the infinite character of the God against whom we've sinned. Why did he have to be a true human being? Because God can't suffer, God can't die, God can't obey. God can't do what needs to be done. Only God is worthy to save us, but only man is able to save us. If he were only man, he wouldn't have the dignity, the value, the worth to save a single human being in this room, let alone how many he saved over the centuries. But if he wasn't man, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't obey, he couldn't suffer, he couldn't die, he couldn't do anything in our place. You know, we're talking this morning in Sunday school about how do we understand Jesus, his his will, his nature, his work, his knowledge, all these, these great profound things. But here's the payoff, here's the bottom line. This is the mystery that God alone could tell you about. I mean, this is why I said earlier, who could make this stuff up? Who could devise such a glorious solution to an insurmountable and unsolvable problem? Other than God. And now Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he as it were, is he's verbally grabbing them by the struff of the neck and saying, refocus your attention. Look to the preaching of the word understand why I purposed in my heart to preach nothing to you other than Jesus Christ because this is the subject matter. This is the great thing he has revealed that no one else could tell you. How can you be preoccupied with anything else? In other words, as we think about the matter that God has revealed, the mystery concerning his son, that eye has not seen, ear heard, or entered in the heart of man, God has revealed them to us. Do we retain a sense of awe and wonder at the gospel of Jesus Christ? And one beautiful thing about the Lord's Supper, which we observe today, is that it puts our gaze back on the Savior, doesn't it? Rhythmically, regularly. And it tells us, basically, unless I feed on him by faith, unless he is the life of my soul, just as my bread and my drink are for the life of my body, I die and I feast on him that I may be saved. Behold, dear friends, as you come to the Lord's Supper, the great subject matter of God's mystery. Let us feast on him by faith. Let us rejoice in him. And by the way, one application I'd be remiss not to make is that we need to know our Bibles. We need to read them daily. We need to read the whole Bible regularly. We need to search it asking God to show us the glory of his son. We ought to read it in our families, read it in our churches because here is the mystery God reveals that we couldn't know any other way. I won't go through all the details here, but notice as God has revealed them uh, to us through his spirit, what he's doing is he's referring to the spirit's work objectively. The spirit is the author of the Bible. The spirit authors God's words, and we need to hear them. And he alone searches all things, even the deep things of God. The mystery that's hidden that couldn't be revealed unless God told you, the Spirit's qualified. The Spirit knows it. The Spirit can tell you what you need to know. And he has, which is underscoring the points I've made about the word. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even though, even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. We've seen what that looks like but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Do you want to hear the Spirit's voice? Search his word. Do you want to receive the subject matter God speaks about above all others? Look for Christ. Well, the third and last thing, just the last few verses here is the mover. And I think we're already getting there. But what's going on here is something more than just what God says. So the gospel is God's testimony to his son, which he drives into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, verses 1 through 5. The the great means is the preaching of Christ. The subject matter is this mystery that God has revealed to us. But notice I said there's something objective here. There's something in which the Spirit is, is telling us something that we need to know about Jesus Christ. But is that enough? Is that all we need? Are we just talkative? Do we just say this is interesting information? This is an interesting intellectual endeavor to talk about the two natures of Christ and all these great things about him. Or does it dig deeper? Does it touch us more nearly? You see, we actually need one teacher who teaches us in two ways. The one teacher we need is the Holy Spirit. And He teaches us in two ways. He teaches us by telling us what we need to know, the subject matter of the Bible in Jesus Christ. And He teaches us by enabling us to know it, enabling us to receive it, and to know it there. I don't just mean getting more information but I mean children again, like you know your brother, like you know your sister, like you know your parents. What Paul is saying is, so you need to know your God. Though you've not seen him, though you've not seen Jesus Christ in the flesh, you need to hear his voice in the preaching. You need to receive what the Spirit testifies to him. And you need to actually know him. That's why this is about knowing God. This, by the way, is going to pull us into all the practical day-to-day problems of the Corinthian church. Maybe by analogy in ways that can touch our lives as well. But notice what he says. These things we also speak, this mystery, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So what he's getting at is, you're comparing yourselves with each other. At least I'm not like that sinner over there. At least I go to church twice on the Lord's Day. At least I'm doing family worship, someone else is not. And Paul is basically saying, stop it. Stop comparing yourselves among yourselves. Stop comparing worldly things and worldly things. Compare spiritual things with spiritual things. What do you mean? Well, I think what he's getting at is the Spirit doesn't simply teach you. The Spirit is within you. If I can back up, I know I have verses 12 and 13 as a division, but notice it's not just that we've heard from the Spirit. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why do we know these things? Why do we believe in Jesus Christ? Because the Spirit is in us. We've received him. His testimony, as it were, penetrates the soul. It digs into the soil. It puts roots there. It forms Christ in us so that we actually know him, we actually love him. And when he's telling them to compare spiritual things with spiritual things, he's saying, if you really are born of the Spirit, then think like it and act like it. No, I, I think it's amazing. Um, you know, this struck me recently in, in in the work that I'm I've been doing as an elder in our local church, how we always think of the Corinthian church as this horrible far off example that maybe we give to seminary students just so that they're glad that whatever church they pastor, they don't have those problems. People getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. I mean, come on. This is this is outlandish stuff. Uh, but you know. When you start thinking about what's actually going on, uh, we have had people in recent times that try to iron out a dispute and end up threatening to take each other to court. And we quote Paul and say, "Why not rather let yourselves be wronged? Why not let, rather let yourselves be cheated?" It's pretty blunt, you know, and straightforward. Does that mean you know, elders don't have something to do? and and rectify a situation no but what's your disposition are you just going to insist on your rights to the nth degree or if it brings reconciliation and peace are you willing to let it go and and we've had people even do that and and what happens you quote the verse and immediately we are so good at doing this we say well it doesn't apply in my case Well, that's funny, because the last ten people I mentioned that to said the same thing. I guess it doesn't apply to anybody's case. Hmm, maybe something's wrong, right? Compare spiritual things with spiritual. Why? Because when you're simply thinking about yourselves and putting yourselves first, there will be conflict. Children, isn't this really the reason why you have fights among yourselves? You've got to insist you're right. It's simple, but it's day to day, and it happens. And what's the way out? You need to learn to think as young spiritual people. Adults, we need to do this too. And what he's saying is there's a reason why this is so urgent, because the natural man, the unconverted person, the person without the Spirit, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, he's not saying a non-Christian can't pick up the Bible, read the book, and say, okay, Christians believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I get it. When he says no, he means no, really no, actually receive, know God, have something go beyond the talkative, beyond the head, into the heart and he basically says remember where you've come from because with someone devoid of the spirit that's never going to happen. You know I remember vividly again uh, talking to a friend after a philosophy class in college and we had to walk a mile off campus to, to get to our cars so we'd walk together and he's not a Christian and I was a Christian and he uh, was interested Because in class, I was uh, defending the doctrine of original sin. And he asked me, are you a Christian? And he was thrilled to find someone different than him. That had a different opinion about who God was, who man was, what everything's like. And I remember very vividly, the first time I explained to him why Jesus died on the cross. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That one had to be God. That one had to be man. And praise God for this glorious solution. You know what His exact response was? Literally these words. That's foolishness. It's kind of chilling, isn't it? You know what my response was? The Bible saw you coming. That's exactly how God said you would respond. And won't even that show you how desperately you need the Holy Spirit? How desperately you need a change of heart? The Bible's describing you exactly as you are. If that describes you today, that's not just theoretical. Will you listen? Will you wake up? Will you hear? Will you see the depths of your need? Will you flee from yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ? But Christian, you too. Flee from yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that if we simply think according to the principles of this world, we sort of regress back where we started. And don't be surprised if it leads to confusion, to conflict, to problems. But then he says, he who is spiritual, judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of christ what's he getting at that can sound a little bit enigmatic or or difficult to think through but what he's really saying is this in the preaching of the word i wanted to to make known christ to you alone here's my focal point here's the means you need The matter is the mystery that God had hidden before the foundation of the ages. Now he's revealed it to you. And now, Corinthians, the end result is, what do you do with it? Well, you look to the spirit who actually moves your heart to know God. You have sound judgment. You have everything you need for spiritual discernment if you have God in Christ. If you have the word and the spirit of God directing you, why do you need to go anywhere else? So, what do we do with this? What's the bottom line? Well, my negative is, let us not be talkative. We may talk about the things of the Lord, but let me put it this way. What good is it if we can defend the idea that God has elected some to everlasting life and predestinated them to glory and passed by others? if we do not make our calling and election sure. What good is it if we can argue why our children should be baptized and should be church members, if we do not lay hold of the triune God who puts his name on them and on us in baptism, teaching them, teaching us to have God as our Father, Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What good is it for us to argue up and down about the proper relationship of the church and the state and how the law of God should apply to civil government if we are not living in loving submission to God in obedience to His law by His Spirit? You see what I'm really doing? I can keep going through the whole system of theology, through any practical question, through any issue that you have, and you see what I'm saying is, It's not that any of the questions are illegitimate, but they can be misplaced, mispurposed, misdirected. Let us come back to the center. Fundamentally, the million-dollar question for every single one of you is do you know God? Do you use the means to know God? Do you seek to come to the preaching of the word, to hear the voice of Christ? Are you impatient to hear about this subject matter, the mystery God has hidden from Foundation of the world, and now has revealed, and you're hearing it today. And do you look to the Spirit daily, continually to move you from the heart to know the God who knows you? May God add His blessing to His word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do bless you. We thank you for revealing such glorious things about your Son. And we thank you that you have not left us simply to hear the words, but to receive the Spirit who drives them home. Help us, Lord, to look to Jesus Christ, to aim at nothing less or more than his glory. And bless us as we continue to worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen.